should you ever set foot outside of the motel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan. Everybody and welcome to another edition of Tunnel Vision, a show brought to you by USCFootball.com. I'm your host, Keely Orr, joined by Shotgun Spratling and Ryan Abraham. We have a little switcheroo today. Ryan's vanished, <laughs> so we can be COVID safe. Uh, we have a lot to talk about. We're back from a holiday break. And there's some things that happen in the world of USC football, so we'll get into that. Uh, first off, we're going to start with recruiting USC picked up a guy I don't know if you guys have heard of him his name's Corey Foreman uh, so we'll talk about that and Sierra Wright we'll talk about him as well USC also made some staff changes we'll get into that and then some personnel changes not changes I guess but uh, we had some NFL opt-outs and some transfer portal news so we'll get into that as well as always you can call us 5124-TUNNEL our intern Micah is waiting by to chat with y'all and see what you have to say we love hearing from you guys and wherever you're watching, I believe we are live on all three platforms, Periscope, YouTube, and Facebook. Put your comments, questions, concerns. We'll all monitor them and make sure we get your voices heard. Guys, like I said, we had a little break. Things have happened. I'm going to start off with the most recent thing, Corey Foreman. I believe we were live when Corey Foreman originally committed to Clemson. So, so we broke that down and it was a big deal. And now <laughs> we're live again and, and Corey Foreman is a Trojan. He signed during the early signing period. Uh, during It wasn't the All-American Bowl. Obviously, there's not going to be a game, but they had an All-American Declaration Day. And both uh, Corey Foreman and four-star quarterback, cornerback uh, Sierra Wright committed to USC. Shaka, I'm going to start with you. What does it mean for USC to pick up those two guys? I mean, it's really big for them to keep guys home. I think that's the biggest portion of it is just to be able to, you know, take the, the guys that are in your backyard and not let them go out. I mean, you look and you watch the college football playoff and you're seeing so many Southern California players, players from California making big time impacts for Alabama, for Ohio State, for Notre Dame. You know, what is and for Clemson? I mean, you, you got guys on each of those teams that are from the Southern California area that, that are now going to be impact players going forward. I mean, you had three five-star quarterbacks that were all the backups in, the, in this game, in those uh, college football playoff games. So keeping those players home was huge. Uh, Corey Foreman, obviously, number one player. First time USC's had the number one player since Matt Barkley in 2009. So really big for them to be able to, to keep a guy like that home, especially with the fact that he was looking at schools. This wasn't a you know a slam dunk. You know, he had already committed to Clemson. You know, he actually 
had looked into committing to LSU when Kenichi Udaisy was there. You know, he looked into Georgia was a big player for him. But USC was able to sell him, and some of the stuff that he talked about was, you know, the name uh, image likeness, you know, the stuff that they've done there mm -hmm. uh, to, you know, to be able to sell him on those things. And, you know, it's, it's really big, and especially because the position he plays. With five-star top in the top five players in the country, your defensive linemen usually are immediate impact guys. You know, you look at the Bosa's, you look at guys like that, they can come in as freshmen and actually make an impact. Some other positions, it, it takes a little bit of time. Sometimes there's a quarterback in the way. It may take a little bit of time. But defense alignment, this could be an immediate impact help for USC. Um, and, and it'll be interesting to see when Corey Foreman gets on campus. He's not going to be an early enrollee. But when he gets on campus, you know, how quickly he can get, you know, involved and, and be a, you know, contributor to that defense line. Ryan, your thoughts? Yeah, we had uh, him and uh, his former teammate, Drake Jackson, on Tunnel Vision. Uh, I forget when it was. Maybe, I don't know. It was a while April. Ago. April, yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's cool to kind of get to talk to him then. Uh, I've covered him from a bunch of different camps. He's always been uh, an absolute stud. And it's one of those things, like Shotgun talked about, you need to keep some, certain guys in Southern California. That was just sort of the USC way. The, the class might be a little up or a little down, but there's a certain crop of these five-star guys that are just local that are going to end up at USC. That's just kind of the way it's always been. And it sort of got away from that, uh, especially the 2020 class, uh, just not being able to keep any five stars uh, at all in the class. So it was it was sorely needed. I think this is a team that needed some wins, like getting the, the, the five wins in a row to start the season, the football season itself, I think helped. But unfortunately, you know, not winning the big one, not winning the Pac-12 championship game was a, was a pretty big downer. And I think that they needed some sort of momentum going into this offseason when you didn't get a bowl game, you didn't get a chance to win the Pac-12 championship game. And the best thing you can do basically is sign the number one player in the country. And that's what uh, USC did. It was a, it was a really good class uh, prior, and I think it was ranked 14th or so, um, you know, before Corey Foreman and Tia Wright uh, ended up committing, and then that moved up. I, I, I didn't check today, but I think it was number eight or so. Yeah. They, uh, you know, the, the USC class has moved up. So you're talking about a top 10 class, chance to get even a little bit better. I think that's something that USC really needed, and like Shotgun said, this is a position where you know, sometimes you get a five-star left tackle. Maybe they don't play that first year. Maybe they redshirt. Like, guys like Corey Foreman don't redshirt. They just come in and they start playing right away. He's going to have his, you know, his partner in crime. Every time I've interviewed Corey Foreman and the, the talk about Drake Jackson, it was just like it was his brother. Like, it was like a family member. So that's why you always felt in the back of your mind, like, he has someone so close to him on the USC team already with the pandemic and you not being able to travel and all that stuff. Maybe if LSU had a great year or something, maybe he ends up there. Who knows? Obviously, Clemson, you know, went to the playoff. They had a great year. But, you know, it might have been something that helps him stay, you know, a little bit closer to home. And certainly having Drake Jackson there uh, helped as well. But it's a, it's a big get for USC. I know there's been some, some negative news. There's going to be guys leaving for the NFL and stuff. But getting a guy like Corey Foreman, I think, was a really big deal. Shotgun, it stood out to me that Foreman mentioned uh, not only the improvements that USC's defense has made this uh, season with Todd Orlando, but also the name image likeness. That's something that USC's tried to get ahead of, and that's something that he specifically said kind of set USC apart. How have you seen the improvements USC has made in the last couple of months really impact recruiting in that sense? Yeah, I think definitely the you know going out and doing the Boulevard you know uh, partnership. Bringing in Will Stout, you know, one of the best videographers in the country, uh, best editors with the hype videos and stuff. The you know the the 
graphic design, all those type things, they, they're small pieces, but they're, they're big pieces in the larger sense because of what is coming down the pipeline with this and the fact that you can sell a lot of things at, in Hollywood. You sell the Hollywood brand, you sell to Sierra Wright is also big because mm-hmm. he's an actor. He is playing LeBron James's son, I believe, in, in Space Jam 2. So he, you know, he wanted to, you know, that was something that was a consideration in his decision as well. So to be able to sell those things and the fact that he can continue multiple careers and building their own brand is really big to kids right now. You know, you have so much social media action and interaction and stuff with, with the players now, with recruiting going on, that I think it's big to add those pieces. And they're auxiliary pieces. you got to be able to coach players on the practice field much more than, you know, build them a hype video. But it helps to be able to build the hype video at the same time. Now can you do the other parts? That's the big question. That's what we're still waiting to see from USC. I think Corey Foreman, you know, saw the progress of the defense and the defensive line. You know, seeing those guys, you know, what they were doing with Drake Jackson, some of the different things that they did with him, but also the improvement from Marlon Tui Pelotu at the beginning of the season and some of those guys like Nick Figueroa stepping up. And, and you know, I, I think that he was able to get a comfortability uh, with Vic Soto and Vic Soto is the one that narrated his video that they, they posted. It was interesting to me to see USC going all out on the um, promotion of Corey Foreman Simon and signing. And I think that was, you know, I think that's what you need to do, mm-hmm. especially with what has happened in the last, you know, uh, two weeks since the, the bowl game that or the championship game against Oregon, uh, losing that game. And then the number of declarations, the number of coaches that are leaving the staff as well, you know, th- with the number of things that were going, they were kind of negative for USC. You need to push as much positivity as they can. And that's what they did uh, over this weekend. Yeah. Ryan, what have you taken away from just the, the positive news that has come out in the last 24 hours and just in the sense of, of how USC has really gone full in on, on what Chaka just said, promoting their signing? Yeah, I think you needed it, obviously. And uh, we've seen such a better job from USC's video department and just the, the social media team, like putting stuff out there. You're seeing uh, an effort that's coordinated from all of the coaches and congratulating each other on all the different signees and things like that. And I think the the early signing period uh, was a, you know it was a nice benefit there to get you know to get the kind of recognition they were getting on social media they were you know, building up some momentum and building a class that went from whatever last or something in the Pac-12 up to uh, number two behind Oregon in the Pac-12. But it was kind of missing that one key piece, maybe you could say, and uh, they end up getting that uh, with Corey Foreman. But I like the effort they put out there because you're right. I mean, there has been a lot of negative news. I mean, there was sort of the the 5-0 and start with these, you know, come from behind wins. They were still, they were still wins. You know, they talk about going 1-0 every week. You went 1-0. I mean, yeah, they weren't always pretty, but you needed that one, right? You needed the, the big one. The, to put the cherry on top of everything was win the Pac-12 championship. Losing that one and then not going to a bowl was just sort of like a couple of body blows for USC fans are just like, you know, they, they needed some good news and they weren't able to get it there. So you got some good news with the, the early signing period for sure, but then um, you know, going forward with this, uh, you know, the, the January 2nd uh, dates after the holidays. I think that was a big one getting, the, you know, those two guys. And you had to try to promote that, Keely, because, mm-hmm. you know, you didn't, you know, losing a couple of assistant coaches. Is that really, you know, going to be a huge fix for all this other stuff? But, you know, at least that's something you can tout. You signed the number one player in the country. If you're a USC fan that's just, you know, chicken little, like, you know, the sky's falling. Like, well, they, they did sign the number one player in the country, so it can't be all that bad. It's not, not that it's great, but it's, you know, things are still, 
you can still fix things if you can if you're able to bring in the number one player in the country. I think that's what USC is trying to put out there now. Yeah, I was really close from like having a decree on Twitter that was like, no one can complain in my mentions for 24 hours. You signed the <laughs> the top kid in the nation. Just just be happy for two seconds, but I didn't because I know that would invite the trolls. Right. Well, honestly, has USC? When's, what's the last you know good day they've had like that? You know, this is the best day they've had probably. The Rose, no, probably the Pac-12 championship before the you know the the Cotton Bowl loss, right? Yeah. So three years. Yeah. Because not only you, you have those two wins uh, as far as recruiting, but basketball goes out and beats you know Utah by eighteen points as well. I think just overall a good day at the university. Unfortunately, the the unfortunate news of Paul Westfall passing, basketball yeah. Hall of Famer, um, you know, on multiple levels, USC retired number and everything. So our condolences go out to the Westfall family as well. But uh, other than that, you, you know, on on the field and you know at the current university, you know, a lot of positive news. So it, it's been so long since that's really they've had a really banner day like that. Now they yeah. could have had something like that with the Pac-12 championship and going forward. You know, making the argument about oh, we should be somewhere in the New Year New Year Six or college football playoff, but you know, when when you drop a game at home to Oregon, that's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Now, as far as Sierra right, Shotgun, I know USC has ninety million uh, talented DBs in this <laughs> class. Where does he fit in in that sense? He's the, the he's different because he's a true cornerback. You know, a lot of those other guys are safety bodies. They can be used in different ways. You know, you guys got like guys like Jalen Smith who can play cornerback, but is probably a safety. He's played linebacker in high school, even though he, he's a smaller guy. You know, they're more versatile guys. Whereas Sierra Wright is a straight cornerback. He's got the size, the length you're looking for. He's got to put on some weight onto his body um, and didn't face the the toughest competition at Loyola. So I'm interested to see him. But he did. He played for Ground Zero and you know has played on the seven 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 on seven circuit and stuff. Um, so. So he's the, the lockdown cornerback you're looking for, and he's going to have to come in and you know probably compete right away. You would like for him to be able to push those guys in front of him with losing Elijah Griffin to the NFL. Mm-hmm. Now you've got uh, Isaac Taylor Stewart and Chris Steele as your starting quarterbacks, uh, it, it looks like. Um, so can he push to get in the rotation there? Can he be a guy like a Dory or Jack Jones or Iman Marshall when they first come in, Chris Steele, who are in the rotation immediately? That's what you're looking for. And then can he be in that rotation to start with and then work his way into more reps as the season goes along? That'll be something interesting to see. He he has the ability to do that. Now, it's going to be picking up the playbook and all those things, but also adding some weight to his frame so that he can you know deliver some hits and, and stay healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to jump into the coaching changes, the, the staff changes. We got news uh, that USC has moved on from offensive line coach Tim Drevno and then uh, strength and conditioning coach Aaron Osmus was let go or his contract wasn't renewed in that sense. What did you guys take away from those moves? And then you also heard uh, Dante Williams was a, was a – uh, uh, promoted to associate head coach Ryan. What did you take away from those those moves that we saw? Yeah, we heard about the there was an official announcement from USC on the Dante Williams uh, aspect of it, and uh, it was great for him. Obviously, he's been a huge part of that. Shotgun mentioned the DB class, or you guys, but you know, talked about the I think you did, Keely, the the, the huge DB class. He's mm-hmm. been invaluable as far as a recruiting uh, tool for USC, and that's it's good to give him a promotion. But I think at the same time. This happened where Tim Drebno, the offensive line coach, was let go, and Aaron Osmus, the strength and conditioning coach. And we had heard, um, and we put some stuff in the war room, didn't put a lot of details on what we had kind of heard, but basically was people were telling other people that were, hey, we're going to fix the offensive line problem and the strength and conditioning problem. So 
To me, that meant, okay, so those are the two coaches they're probably going to let go. It ended up happening. We didn't get official word from USC until today. Um, they wouldn't confirm when we were asking them and other, you know, the reports were out there that those two guys were getting reported, but got a, got an official, and it was a really simple statement from uh, Clay Helton about, you know, moving on and, and, you know, they'll start looking for replacements for those guys immediately. I think they're both um, interesting hires. I, I like covering both of those guys. Uh, Tim Drevno, the way he was brought in just seemed like kind of the old Clay Helton way of hiring coaches. They brought him in like sort of as a offensive line coach and waiting because he didn't really want to get rid of Neil Calloway and made him the, the running backs coach, which just didn't seem like a great fit. End up taking over after they fire Calloway with what four games left in the 2018 season. They move uh, Tim Drevno over there. So that's sort of like what he should have been hired for uh, to begin with. But then when you bring in Graham Harrell, he didn't really have any experience, you know, coaching offensive lines for, you know, an air raid type of scheme. You didn't know if that was going to be that big of a deal. Obviously, it didn't seem to work out great. And for Aaron Osmus, another guy that, like, we had him on tunnel vision. I'm no strength and conditioning expert, but, you know, you have him here. And it was really, I, I, I thought it was refreshing the way he was talking about strength and conditioning. Certainly a challenge to try to get guys ready during a pandemic when you're not going to have all the equipment that you normally have. And you're setting up 120 individual programs for all these different players that doing at their home. Some people have a home gym like Alvin Ross St. Brown and some people got to do push-ups or push their car around, whatever you, know, you were trying to do. Um, but it was an interesting hire too because he was not a strength and conditioning coach in college. He used to be. He was at USC before, but he was working in you know, the private industry. And I mean, I don't know. I didn't look at the team and say they're all soft and slow and, and, and you know, weak or anything. So I, I, I'm no expert on that. Is this really, you know, are you going to make a whole lot of, is this going to make a big deal on the team? Um, the term that keeps coming up is, you know, rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. It's, it's one of those things where if it, the culture is coming from the top, you know, and changing your OLO coach and changing your strength and conditioning coach, I don't know, maybe it'll have some, you know, some sort of impact there, but it just, it seems to me like you need to do something bigger and really USC is just not willing to do that right now. Uh, but you know, it's, I hate it when anyone loses a job. I like both those guys. Yeah. I don't think I'm an expert on the offensive line or strength and conditioning, but um, the hires were weird to begin with. They were a little off, and they were only two years ago. So you're talking about two years ago, these problems were fixed, and now you got to fix them again. So that's why I don't put a lot of faith in, oh, yeah, this now things are going to get a lot better because you're getting rid of these two coaches. Yeah. Shotgun, what was your take to, uh, about the news? I mean, it's... How many times is it going to be the assistant coaches that are at fault? I mean, how many times can you rearrange again and not change anything above that? Um, you know, it comes down to a culture issue to me. Um, you know, you haven't established the culture that you need to be able to win championships. You're close. You're close, says Clay Hilton. Close to what? <laughs> that's, that's the big question. I mean, are you close to a Pac-12 championship? What does that mean? Look, Oregon just won a Pac-12 championship. They just got blown out by Iowa State. Now, Iowa State had a really good year. Iowa State's a really good team this year. But listen to the name of it. They got blown out by Iowa State. Come on. And that's the Pac-12 championship? That's what you're really striving for? And, again, this goes back to what we've talked about ad nauseum, about what does the administration really want from the football program? And what are they willing to invest to get that? Um, and it just they have not made the moves over the last decade that tell you that they really want to be a blue blood, true, you know, powerhouse program, and, and they haven't invested in that. Now that investment takes, you know, not only 
the the funding um, where if you were going to fire a coach and buy out contracts and bring in new coaches and bring in you know a highly desired coach, they haven't done that. No, Clay Helton was hired as, hey, he was the interim guy. He's already here. Let's bring him in. He's been here for over a decade. What has USC done during his time that he's been here? One Rose Bowl, and it was a tremendous year there. But you know, when is it not the assistant's fault, and when does it fall above them? And that's the big question. Like, I think Tim Drevno is a solid offensive line coach. I've heard a lot of positive things from players that have played for him before. Now, I have also heard through the grapevine there's other players that didn't like him, um, but I have not spoken to anyone directly that said that. So I think he's at least an adequate offensive line coach, but he was never a good fit. He's never been in an air raid offense. You bring him in as a running backs coach. He hasn't done that in, like, it was something like 15, 20 years. Uh, Aaron Osmus, just like Ryan talked about, wasn't a strength coach, you know, coming into this job. So you're basically like, hey, what can we kind of get to fill in? You know, that's what you do when you're a Mountain West team. That's what you do when you're a MAC team. You know, if you look at some of the MAC programs that have had success over the years, and they've had the Nick Sabins or you know Urban Meyer starts there. You had these really good coaches, and it's like, okay, what can you do to follow that up? Cincinnati had a really good run for a while, and they're doing really well right now with Lou Fickle. But it's all about, okay, what's the next hire? Because you know you're not going to keep you know Brian Kelly at at uh, Cincinnati. You know, you're not going to be able to to bring in the high name coach. And even when they tried to do that, like Cincinnati brought in Tommy Turberville, and that was not a very good fit. Um, so they've done really well at identifying you know, and trying to pull from somewhere else. And that's what USC seems to be doing. Now, give them a, I'll give them credit for what they've done the last year. I thought the hires were good. I think Orlando is a solid defense coordinator, even if he was being, you know, coming off being fired by, um, you know, being Texas. fired by Texas. And the fact that they had gone after Dave Aranda and really had made a push there. I think that they've uh, addressed things and gone after some big targets. But when is it, you know, when do you have you rearranged the deck chairs enough, you know, before the Titanic completely sinks? Now, okay, I completely understand this, but we came into this whole season saying, hey, guys, we know USC is not going to want to fire Helton given the pandemic and everything. And I feel like people have kind of forgotten that. It, do you feel like that's Ryan? Because I feel like the P kind of just forgot that we had warned, hey, this is what it looks like. This is what USC, the higher ups have kind of given the signal that. Clay Helton is at least going to stay on for another year, right? Right. I mean, we were preaching that. I think we talked about this on the show. We talked about on the Peristyle, on uscfootball.com, in the war rooms. Like, hey, I think I wrote a column or something like, hey, everyone, don't expect a head coaching change to happen this year. And if you remember back in 2018 when USC goes five and seven, I mean, the assumption was that USC was going to, obviously, you have to fire Clay Hill. And I think yeah. we all thought that. We were like, yeah. Most of us were like, yeah, I mean, there's no way. Did we know that Lynn Swan just got fleeced by Jimmy Sexton and signed him to a five-year extension a few months earlier than that? We didn't know that. And once you did that, and it was like this horrible contract for USC, great for Clay Hilton, um, yeah, that, so that wasn't going to happen. And we pretty much warned people, like, this is not going to be able to happen this year, barring some crazy, like, off-the-field thing, or, I mean, just an awful season, but you knew lopping off the hardest part of, you know, take your schedule, cut it in half, throw the hardest part away, um, and then have like these miracle comebacks when it's like, yeah, it wasn't going to happen, but there's still people, I don't know if it's just, they just, that's what they want. And you're saying like, like oh, sources are saying that they've hired, already hired Urban Meyer and all this stuff. It happens every year. And you're like, we're trying to tell people, no, like that's just not what we've heard. And maybe, you know, the administration was going to do something, some... Hail Mary behind the scenes, but it just, it seemed like it was going to be nearly impossible with 
there's not really a lot of political backing to make a change for a head coach at USC, you know, outside of the athletic department. There's a lot of problems in the athletic department from before. There's budgetary problems because of the pandemic. It just to take a guy that went, you know, he won 83% of his games or whatever it was, there was going to be a hard sell. And it made things worse, Keeley, when Texas goes out and the yeah. athletic director gives a, you know, comes back and says, hey, you know, Tom Herman's our coach, and then waits till after a signing day and then and fires him and brings in Sark, uh, knowing that, you know, what is it, like $30 million in buyouts they had to do for like the staff and Herman. I mean, it was it was pretty crazy, but Texas makes a crap load of money. Like the Very true. Texas revenue is way above yeah. USC. So yeah. you get it. Like they're going to be able to, to handle the pandemic a little bit differently. But what do you make of that though? Because he did say months earlier, hey, we're really hit hard by the pandemic. We got to let people in our department go. And yet here you can find the money for Herman and to move him and to bring in Sark. What do you make of that? I mean, how many, whenever you see these like large company buyouts and all this stuff or whatever, bailouts from the government, it's like, Oh yeah, we had to lay off eight thousand people, and then the CEO gets a huge, you know, eight million dollar bonus. Like, I mean, that happens. Like, that's the kind of stuff that's happened. Like, okay, yeah, we can lay off all these people that work in the athletic department or furlough them or whatever, but we need a head coach. So we're going to get if we need to go get somebody, we'll get someone. I think it's a super. I mean, we've covered Zark. It's a huge risk, obviously. If you if it was, hey, we fired Tom Herman because Urban Meyer was stepping in. I don't think anybody would say a word. You're taking a risk on Steve Sarkeesian, you know, and we, you know, what was he, a year and a half, we got to see him as USC's head coach. You hope it works out for him. You hope, you know, the sobriety, yeah. all that stuff is great, but I, I can't see that as being like a slam dunk. I mean, to get rid of, to spend that kind of money and that's who you bring in is, uh, to me, that's a huge risk for Texas. Yeah. Sharkin, you seem to be the most skeptical on this, on this grouping. How did you feel about the whole move at Texas? I thought it was really interesting, you know, the fact that they decided that – and one thing that, like Ryan said, they make a buttload of money. They are the number one uh, per revenue-producing university or football program. I think athletic department, actually. It is, yes. Um, so they bring in a ton of money. Now, they were hit by the pandemic just like everyone else, so maybe they're not bringing in as much, but they make a lot of money there, whereas other universities don't necessarily. USC, I don't know if they necessarily do because they're not a public university, so we don't have those – uh, you know, those numbers, but, uh, you know, USC also has a lot of other things going on right now besides the athletic department that are, you know, that tie up a bunch of money right now. Um, so Texas, it, it all comes down to, you know, sometimes you got to spend money to make money and that's the old adage. And, you know, even if you're buying someone out and it, it's, it's more about having that potential, that hope than having apathy and that what comes with donations too. You know, you think where you come out of the pandemic, people start doing a little bit better. Then hey, donations start going up. Well, we want a team that's you know got some hope, and you know we're excited about this guy that's coming in, rather than oh Herman's going to be back again, and are we going to be a, a three or four loss team again? And do I then want to donate? I, I think that goes into the factors into that decision that they made. But it's really interesting that Sark's you know career path, you know going from USC to. Being on that staff at Alabama, being the OC at the Falcons and being fired after a year and a half and back to Alabama and now he ends up at, at Texas. And, you know, good for him and, and wish him the best of luck. Uh, Lane Kiffin doing really well as well at O coming off a national championship. So USC's former head coaches are doing pretty well right now. But USC, are they headed in the right direction? And that's the big question. You know, I think that there's pieces there, but are all those pieces going to, you know, line up finally? And that's what we've been wondering. You know, this – 
maybe when you get an offensive line coach, a new offensive line coach, and if it's a really good hire and strength coach, the same thing, maybe we're finally to where they should have been three years ago. When you talk about, well, Notre Dame, you know, they did this and they overhauled their entire staff. Well, now you might actually get there. <laughs> just it took you three years to do it instead of doing it in one fell swoop. You're like, oh, I'll just piecemeal it now and I'll piecemeal it then and we'll add some coaches here. And you still got a couple of coaches where you go, is that, you know, a top end guy at that position? They're on the staff now. Um, so, you know, so you're kind of piecemealing it now. Is someone else going to be at fault if you don't, you know, if you're not competing for a national championship next year? You know, it, it's that's what makes it difficult because you've talked about in the past of how we want to be like this. When Helton first got here, it was Stanford. You know, they wanted to be like Stanford. We want to run the ball, be a physical team. Nah, never mind. We saw what these other teams can do. Now we want to be like them. Oh, we saw what Notre Dame could do. You know, overhauling their staff. We want to be like them. But when are you gonna get? When are you gonna be like USC? You know, that's the big question to me. Now, to play devil's advocate to the narrative, if USC goes out and find, finds another quote-unquote Dante Williams to add to the staff, how much can that actually change things um, than what we were kind of saying, the, arranging the, the decks on the Titanic ship, you know? Yeah, the deck chairs. You yeah, thank you. yeah, thank you. Thank <laughs> you. You can picture the ship, the ship going down. You're like, I think that chair goes better over there. Yeah, it doesn't really matter. Um, because Dante made a difference, at least in recruiting. Are did. we talking about Corey Foreman if they don't get him? You know, right? No, I think that's a, a big deal. And if you look at where USC's been recruiting on the offensive line, brought in numbers in the 2020 class, none of them were highly ranked. Right? You didn't have any of those guys. That, you know, this cycle, USC did get the best offensive tackle in the state of California, but. He was like third or fourth in the region where Oregon gets the top couple of guys from the region. Guys, He's that, you know. also a guy that's played football for two and a half years. <laughs> He's not going to come – Mason Murphy's not going to come in and immediately be an impact player. I yeah. think he has great potential down the line. I've said that about some of the players that were in that six-man class. There's great potential. There's not any immediate impact players. There's no Pene Sewell. There's no – even Kingsley Sewell and Mata, Matia, you know, I think was more of an impact player. Jackson Carmen, guys they missed on. There's not those immediate impact guys, and you might need those. We still don't know exactly where the offense line is going to be. Elijah Vera Tucker has you know, announced he's going to the NFL. Who's going to play left tackle? You don't have a true left tackle still on the roster. Um, there's a lot of question marks there. Yep. So, yes, yeah, someone could come in and can recruit really well at the offensive line position, but you know, you're also trying to – it's easier to recruit if you're Dante Williams with defensive backs because there's a lot of defensive backs in the, on the West Coast. Yeah. There's receivers, there's DBs, there's occasionally a, a Corey Foreman. But how many you know guys are stepping in or immediate you know impact uh, offensive linemen? It, it's just it's pretty rare in the West Coast. So you got to close on those guys. We'll see how USC does you know with the next cycle or two. But what are they going to do next year? Because yeah. there's no one out there now. If you can find a, a transfer in a portal, that's probably your best bet. That's what you gotta you gotta hope for right now. I think they're gonna do that. And just to kind of finish the the point, <laughs> yeah, you got sniped by shotgun okay. there. It's, it's fine, but it, you're right. I mean, if you're Dante Williams and you can bring in four or five like of the best defensive backs on the West Coast, first of all, there's a lot of them to go around. And it's sort of like you're nimble with like, this is a speedboat, right? You're moving it quickly. You can get a bunch of guys in and some of them can start right away. You can fix cornerback and safety recruiting pretty quickly. For offensive line, it's more like now you're moving that cruise ship, right? You're trying to turn. Are there a, a lot of options on the West Coast? And has Oregon been getting them the last several years? Yeah, that's hard to fix. But also, you know, if you get a great one, it, he still might not help you for a couple years down the line. So the fact that you need an offensive tackle, left tackle, coming in this 
cycle, you're probably going to have to go to the transfer portal to get it if it's not one of those young guys that are already in there. I do, like the original question, yeah, I think you can have sort of a Dante Williams effect, but it's not going to be as immediate as a Dante Williams is. It's going to be, if this is what he was going to do to fix the offensive line, then when you brought in Graham Harrell, you should have brought in like an ace recruiting you know, offensive line coach that's run the air raid before and can show these guys, hey, here's what we're going to do. Here's how we incorporate the run game, all that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, I feel like you're fixing a problem a couple years too late and it's going to probably take a, you know, a cycle or two for it to be fixed. So is this going to be the same staff by then? It's hard to say, but Dante Williams was a quick fix. I think the offensive line is going to be a little bit more involved to fix. Mm -hmm. the, the one thing though with the offensive line is can they be taught better at the offense you're trying to run. And I think that is definitely a possibility. So, you know, th that's the thing with the air raid. You, you see a couple, you see the the uh, Andre Dillard, I think it was, from Washington State. You see a couple of air raid guys that are, you know, you know first-round draft picks, but it's not usually the case. It's usually just tall, lanky guys, and they, you know, they, uh, they fit the system really well. Can you coach them up in this system better? I don't think Tim Drevenow was a great fit for that ever. You know, we talked about that several times, about you need an offensive line coach that knows the air raid, and that's one of the things I asked uh, Drevenow about during the offseason, just, you know, what have you learned, um, you know, from Graham Harrell and those guys, you know, going forward, you know, being a year in the system now. And that's the thing. He was still learning because this is not a system that he had run. So I think if you have someone who has multiple years experience in an air raid system, then you can make a big improvement there potentially. Um, there is still talented players on the team. You know, let's not, you know, it's not like USC suddenly swap places with Arizona's offensive line or something. Um, you know, whatever, Wyoming's offensive <laughs> yeah, line, sure. whatever you want. Um, but there's some talented players on there, but can you coach them up? And that's been the big question. Yeah. You know, you haven't seen that in the last couple of, you know, uh, offensive line coaches. Yeah. Um, I'm going to get into player news and then we'll jump into calls. I think we have a full queue. So sorry about wow. that. Thanks to everyone yeah. uh, waiting on us. Uh, so first off, let's start with guys who decided to enter the 2021 NFL Draft. Elijah Vera Tucker, that was expected. Talano Hufunga, Elijah Griffin on New Year's. Uh, clock struck midnight and he announced his news. Uh, Marlon Tui Pelotu and then Amon Ross St. Brown. What do you guys take away from that? Was anyone surprising on that list? I mean, to me real quick, just Elijah Griffin was a little surprising um, for that. I think all the rest of the guys... Uh, you know, Marlon made himself a lot of money. We know Elijah Vera Tucker made himself a lot of money. Amon Rock St. Brown came in and, you know, you knew he was a stud. Talanoa Funga is the Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year. You know, four interceptions in a row, four straight games. I think those guys are like, yeah, okay, we've, we've went through this crazy pandemic year. We did what, you know, we balled out. We did whatever we could. We were stars of this team and we're ready to move on. Um, you know, Elijah Griffin's not going to have like, eight interceptions over his career to show the NFL, uh, you know, what's going on. But he's got, you know, he's got talent. He's got skills. We'll see. I think he could probably do pretty well uh, at the combine. And, you know, if it doesn't work out in the NFL for him, it doesn't work out. I mean, he's, I think he's going to be fine. You know, he's, he's got the entertainment stuff too, right? So um, I think he'll be all right. It was a little surprising, but for the rest of the guys, it, it wasn't too surprising for me. Shate? I'm going to go ahead and give Elijah Griffin an award for worst time ever to make an announcement. <laughs> <laughs> just as far as from a PR standpoint, like, you know, there, there, we've had players that, you know, uh, Michael Pittman Jr. I remember committed on uh, July 4th yeah. and it was very annoying because he, 
he was supposed to commit earlier in the day, and I was waiting to be able to go enjoy my July Fourth. <laughs> We've had some Christmas Day ones too. Yeah. Christmas Day too. Like there, there's some just it's not a great time. Now I understand, and he decided to do it in, in part because his grandmother's birthday I think was the next day. So um, there's usually a reason behind why players do it, but. At midnight on New Year's Eve is probably not the best time. Um, but it's a little lost in the hubbub. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so not a great time for him there, but it wasn't a shock to me. Um, you know, just some of the stuff I had heard. You know, he's been a guy that, besides the flash and stuff, he's he's thought that he wanted to be a three and out guy. Um, so we'll see how he does. I don't, he, you know, he's nowhere near like a first or second round draft pick. He just doesn't have the the size. I think that is ideal to be, you know, an early round draft pick. And it'll depend on how well he runs. Now he's been a great cover cornerback for USC. Yeah. The last two years, his numbers have been spectacular as far as at least my tracking of you know each play and seeing you know who is targeted on a play. I think it was something like uh, you know it was below fifty percent both years completions uh, allowed. Um, and I think he gave up one touchdown this year. You know, he got his first in, uh, career interception. So there's some positive things for him, and I think he can, you know, even if he's not a high draft pick, even if he doesn't get drafted, I think he could still have a successful NFL career because he's a playmaker and he covers really well. Cover cornerbacks always do well. Um, you know, always are guys that are in need. Um, so, you know, a guy like Nikhil Roby Coleman, didn't have the measurables, but he can cover. And you can play that slot position. So I think Elijah Griffin showed a lot this season by playing the field. So there's a lot of ground to cover and, you know, doing really well over there. So I, I think that he'll be fine going forward. Wasn't a huge shock, shock to me. Um, so it's surprising that he probably could have improved his draft stock if he came back a year and, and showed himself once more. Um, but not that, not a shock to me. Mm -hmm. Now, as far as guys who hit the portal, uh, we got news on Monday. Marquis Step entered the transfer portal, and then Connor Murphy also entered a day later. I know when I put out the Connor Murphy news, people kind of was was like, "This guy is falling," which I I wouldn't say that. Connor Murphy is a guy who I don't think he ever uh, could crack the starting lineup, and Marquis Step. That is different, though. Shaka, what was your take on that? On Marquis Step, that's an interesting one. Uh, you know, this comes down to offensive philosophy, I think. Um, you know, if you guys are members of the P, you can read the war room that we've had the last couple weeks. There's been a lot of talk about, you know, the, the running back room and the yeah. transfer portal. Um, and it comes down to, I think, philosophy that Marquis Step is, is just not a great fit in the air raid offense. You know, he's a power back. He, he probably fits best in a Big Ten type of offense. I think that just suits him a little bit better. Um, and he'll be used more then. They, they run the ball. They run a slower tempo. And they, you know, they look to get, you know, a big running back, you know, 10 to 15 carries a game. Whereas USC, they were spreading it out. And a little bit, they got their – they were hampered by the fact that they have four guys that are capable of being the guy. And they try to get everybody touches. And sometimes you just got to – and they did this in the, in the UCLA game. Sometimes you just got to be like, no, we're going to give the ball to one guy. He's hot. We're running with him. Uh, but that also, you know, uh, is something you got to worry about then with the transfer portal. And this is what happened. Vi gets all the carries in the UCLA game. Marquis Step and Stephen Carr don't. And now Marquis Step is in the transfer portal. Mm -hmm. Uh, Ryan, I know we talked about it on the Pair Style podcast, but what were your thoughts with those news? Yeah, I mean, for Connor Murphy, you know, just like – you know, I, I there, you thought there was potential there. I think Greg Biggins said that he might be. Uh, was he, he talked about him being like an offensive tackle? I believe. Uh, yeah, Biggins like said that. he wanted to see that. But. His brother plays in the NFL. His sister was like an athlete at Arizona State. Like he's an athletic kid. Um, you thought that I don't know. It just didn't seem like for whatever reason it didn't work out there. Even with coaching changes, it just didn't yeah. seem to 
him to find his groove. For Marquis Step, I have like five reasons. Each one of them a rushing yard that USC had against Washington State. You could say like that's their best game, right? Wow. Was that their best game? Like the, overall, like against Washington State, and you had five rushing yards. Come on, like you can't do that. Like he, like Shotgun said, he's a big, bruising back. When we talked to Mike Jiggs early on, they're like, "Yeah, dude, I've never had a running back like this." And I think as a coach and a system, like you have to figure out ways to get these guys uh, touches and and to run the football more and. You know, you look at some of the stuff, like why were the, you know, the splits so tight? Like it should have been spread out a little bit more. It just, it just didn't seem to work. Maybe that's a combination of uh, an offensive line coach that's usually from a more traditional offense and not the kind of air raidy one. And and, and having running backs coach and, a, and an offensive coordinator that really hasn't worked with running backs, the kinds that USC had, it all just didn't seem to gel. You know, it's a, it wasn't a great fit for all of us. I think all the pieces could be good, right? I mean, I think Marquis Step is a really good running back, but for whatever reason, it wasn't working in this system. So I, not shocking. Uh, I thought maybe one of the other guys would go first, but it, he's the, you know, if you were going to put him in a, in a Wisconsin offense, like, yeah, you could see him running for like 1,700 yards or something. And like, he's just not going to get anything close to that at USC. So, you know, great kid. Love talking to him. He's from the Midwest. You wish him the best. We'll see where he... Uh, ends up I wouldn't anticipate him coming back but um even though you know people kind of hold out hope sometime but you know wish him well they just did, there's no they didn't run the football anywhere near as good enough as they they should have this year and uh you know that's the main for me that's the main reason why he's gone he was a fan favorite in the sense that he brought something different uh, as a running back how do you make up for that do you go to the portal or do you just you lose that type of power running I mean, you only got one running back commit. I mean, I think you're probably going to try to go to the transfer portal again. Uh, I mean, if you can address uh, an inside linebacker, if you can get a left tackle, you can get another running back and a running back that's a speedster. Running someone that's run in a this kind of an offense. You know, you might see a, a Keaton Christian be a guy that just, you know, does really well. We've seen some explosive plays from him, but we just haven't seen the consistency. If you get someone like that from the transfer portal, um, yeah, I think there's, uh, you know, some potential there and maybe that's just a better fit. And they know the offensive coaches know how to work a guy like that more than they do a guy like Marquis step. It's just a shame because he, he was a fan favorite for a reason. You just love the way he ran and you can have an offense that's spreading things out and throwing the football over the place. I mean, you can't have a, a big, strong, fast running back running behind that at all. It just doesn't seem to, I think it's a shortfall on the, the coaching side. He was a fan favorite, and I think if you could get a guy like that going, you could get some of those fans that were like, all I want is student body left, student body right, to at least be like, you know what? Yeah, okay, we threw the ball, slowed us through for 380 yards, but, you know, Step came in and, and ran for 110. I'm okay with that. Uh, I thought they could have made it work somehow. So The problem, though, is that he wasn't healthy all the time. You, you have to have to wonder last year what would have happened if he didn't go down unfortunately in that Arizona game. He probably would have been the back. He would have had a, a breakout year because that, that Notre Dame game was kind of the, the emergence and then he, he goes down. So it's a it's a twofold situation in that sense. I don't think it's just the coaches. Um, I'm going to jump into callers because they have been patiently waiting. Thank you so much. Uh, first up is Rob from NYC, I believe. Hello, you're live on Tunnel Vision. What's your question for the team? Good evening, first to Miss Keeley and Shotgun and Ryan. I'm calling from New York City. I've been watching you for a couple of years, and I never call. <laughs> well, but thank you. Motivated me to call. 
Okay? I didn't know they got call reform until tonight because I work. Okay? <laughs> and uh, Keely said something to the effect of, oh, let's wait 24 hours before. 24 hours is up. It's 1044 in New York City. And I still want Clay Helton to be fired. Enough. He could recruit the he could recruit the University of Alabama's recruiting class. He's still gonna stink, this guy. Uh, no, and let me let me let me let me just be, say this. I'm not a hard-hearted guy. I'm sure Clay Helton. You've dealt with him, you three. He's a very nice man. I'm sure he kisses his wife every night. He hugs his kid and pets his dog. But I don't want that as my coach. Enough. He has to go. I don't. We are the most penalized team every year. Every time you look up, we're making stupid mistakes. Every year. Okay? And we still have this guy. Enough. And let me just say this. I'm sure there was a, it was a pandemic and everybody was affected. But let me ask you, Ryan and Shotgun, was there a pandemic in 2019? Yes, no. <laughs> it was not. No. Was, no. Was there a pandemic in 2018? No. Was there a pandemic in 2017? No. What is the common denominator? Clay Helton was still the coach. Enough of this guy. Enough. I don't want him anymore. We're going to, we are, Corey Foreman. Okay, great. And we got to kick corner, to kick the cornerback kid. That's great and all, but he's still the same coach. Enough. I don't want. Okay, Rob, right. I'm cutting you off. Thanks, Rob. Love the accent, though. Well done. Love well, the that little New York flair there. Yeah, the New I York mean, flair was incredible. It's, uh, yeah, I mean, okay, you're not alone, and we get this every day, every tweet, we get <laughs> every, every post. It's it's just it's one of those things where we're like, we get it. That's what fans want. Well, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm not saying that any of what you said is incorrect, but it's just we're telling you the reality of what we're hearing is it's not going to happen. And so it's hard for us to just keep talking about it over and over and over again. But you get it. You are not wrong. Like it's, yes, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. uh, and Rob, you technically found out about Corey on today, Sunday. So you did break the 24-hour violation for yourself personally. So <laughs> I'm going to let it slide. Uh, real, real quick on Marquis Stepp, uh, looked up the numbers as far as total snaps he played. He played 184 snaps in three seasons. Keenan Kristen surpassed him last year after coming in following his injury. Yeah. So that was a big part of him not being able to contribute as much as just he wasn't able to stay on the field and be healthy. You know, came into this fall camp, was nicked up, yeah. you know, banged up again during the season. You know, so it's something that was a big part of why he was never able to completely establish himself as potentially the top running back for USC. Yeah. Real quick, Keely, uh, Scott, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry if I'm looking down, I'm monitoring my phone for Periscope. Sure. Uh, but Scott says, I want New York pizza now. And I totally do, too, after listening <laughs> to that one. Just those thin slices you just pick up on the street corner. Oh, man, that's just so good. So. Big fan of callers with accents. So if anyone has an accent, <laughs> you can call in. Uh, let's go to our buddy Dave in Iowa. Hello. What's your question for the team? Hello, guys. Uh, so one, uh, two questions. One, how do you, how do you think uh, Graham Harrell and uh, Todd Orlando feel about a position coach getting, you know, I guess the second rank? head coaching position, if you will. And then third, kind of predicted that Drevna was going to leave, knew the USC was going to move on. So in terms of, from a recruiting perspective, do you go after Oregon's offensive line coach or from the scheme air raid um, offensive line coach, do you go after Mississippi State? Like to hear your thoughts. Thank you, Dave. Thanks, Dave. Uh, yeah, I think for both coordinators, I think you understand, like, 
it's a team sort of thing. And these these kind of titles started becoming a thing, like, I don't know, maybe like 10 years ago or whatever. They just, they, you needed to promote people, but you were like, well, you're not going to make that guy the coordinator. So you kind of give them these other titles. So I don't think the coordinators would have any kind of issue with that. As far as, I haven't really sat down and started breaking down uh, where you want to go, but I think you do want to get someone that has air raid experience if you're going to bring you're going to bring in a new offensive line coach. I, I don't think you bring in a name that USC people fans are going to throw out names that they know because that's just what happens all the time. And that's what they're used to. That's what USC just hires people that you've already seen before, like kind of retreads. I think you have to go out and get somebody that's been in an air raid system before. And I haven't even looked at the guy at Mississippi State yet, but you know, someone that worked for Mike Leach would probably make a lot of sense. If you hired two offensive coordinators that were quarterbacks for Mike Leach, uh, getting one of his offensive line coaches from some point that was good probably would be a good move too. Yeah, Clay from, uh, I mean, Dave uh, Rice on YouTube said, Clay McGuire is a new offensive line coach. He's the offensive line coach at Texas State, was, was Washington State's O-line coach for six years with a total of 10 years on Mike Leach's staffs, and he also played for Leach at Texas Tech. That could be a guy, you know, I, I haven't really studied the offensive line. I think you do have to go out and find a scheme fit. So I think this is going to be a hire more on Harrell than it is on Helton. Um, and you got to find someone that's going to bring that philosophy, kind of bring that fire that you're seeing on the defensive side. Someone needs to bring that to the offensive line. Um, it, you know, and you need to have, be, have them be able to do that while being a scheme fit at the same time. So I think that's the big thing there. Uh, as far as the title and Dante Williams being associate coach, it doesn't matter at all. It literally matters none. His his duties won't change because of it. It's not like he's suddenly like, okay, now you have to you're you're doing a certain game plan thing. No, it's just where, where you know if you work for you know CBS who owns twenty four seven. If you work for them, your your title might change from manager to you know director or something. It, and you have the same responsibilities. It's just a lot of times it comes with a pay bump. And because Dante Williams did so well in recruiting, he probably got a pay bump with that title uh, to keep him around and, you know, to, to keep other schools from trying to come and, you know, try to steal them away type of thing. Um, so if you look at maybe go back and look through T. Martin's, um, you know, titles from when he was at, you know, Kentucky to when, you know, where he's at now at, at Tennessee, the title changed several times at, at USC, but he remained, you know, he was still working with the wide receivers. And then, you know, he did get the bump to offense coordinator. That's the only time there's a real bump. The associate head coach or run game coordinator, you know, unless the head coach is very specific about, all right, you focus on the run game, you focus on the pass game, usually that's just something to, to give them a little bit more of a, a pay bump. And mm -hmm. just real quick, um, you notice that the kind of hiring practices around Clay Helton changed a little over a year ago. Um, I think, you know, with Mike Bowen and Brandon Sosna, you're going to see, um, you know, shrewder negotiations and yeah. going after people that are, uh, you know, good at their jobs. I think that was one of the things, you know. <laughs> yeah, that seems to be the difference so yeah, far. Rather than a familiar name. Yeah. Right, yes. Mm -hmm. All right, let's jump into questions. Uh, it's already almost the top of the hour, so sorry about wow. that, guys. We're going to get into your questions, we promise. Uh, first off on YouTube, Jackie says, what other recruits other than Rajon Davis are, is USC still in play for? I mean, the biggest name out there is JT Tuomola uh, from uh, Seattle and Eastside uh, Eastside. Catholic, Catholic yeah. um, you know, defensive tackle, just a super jumbo athlete. He is tremendous. He's a basketball player, can throw down dunks and stuff. 
watched him in seven on seven that playing tight end and just dominating games. Um, he is the number one recruit, I think, in our 24-7 rankings, yeah. whereas Corey Foreman was the number one in the 24-7 sports composite, which includes uh, the other competitors out there, you know, uh, bringing together. Uh, so he is, is a difference maker, and he could play inside while, uh, you know, you have Trey Jackson and Corey Foreman on the outside. That would be that something would, special. That would um, be you know, and that's the thing is, like, if you can have an elite defensive line, it changes so much that you can do as a defense coordinator. You look at some of those Ohio State defensive lines in the past with the Bosa brothers. You know, how, you know, look at the Cotton Bowl, how they were rotating. There's like eight guys that are on NFL rosters now. They were all making big-time plays. And that's the problem for USC because they're competing with Ohio State. They're probably the front runner still, um, and, you know, that's who USC is going to try to beat out for him. But Rajon Davis is the other big name there, obviously, the linebacker from modern day. USC, much more in the driver's seat with that one than JT. But JT is still definitely someone on the radar. Mm -hmm. uh, I have two questions. One I'm going to ask first so you can think about it, Shotgun. Uh, Hugh on Facebook said, Shotgun, can you share any stat that you're proud of? I don't know why you would be proud of it. Uh, that shows significant improvement over the last three years on USC's team. Discipline certainly can't be one of them. So you can go and think about that. Well, I ask a different question. Uh, Andrew on YouTube says, does SC's defensive scheme have the ability to shut people out? Ryan? So, I mean, you're not seeing a lot of shutouts in college football uh, around. But this is, a, I think it's a scheme that, uh, you know, things go right. Yeah, I mean, they can put pressure on the quarterback, they can do it in a way that, you know, you're not necessarily always going to be giving up, you know, some third and long situations and, and you can get guys off the field. Uh, you could force turnovers. So, yeah, I mean, I think with Todd Orlando and the new defensive coaches, we saw the defense kind of get better uh, later in the year. I think there's a, you know, there's a, there's a lot of potential, I think, for this defense and this scheme, um, you know, the players that they, they have in it. They're going to have to replace some guys like Talanoa Funga and Elijah Griffin and guys like that and Marlon Tui Pelotu for sure. But I do think there was an improvement uh, over the defense. Is it like a shut? I mean, no one shuts anybody out anymore, so <laughs> anyone's good. But yeah, they, I mean, it's potential to you know, get get some turnovers, get a bunch of some, you know, get some three and outs and really just give your offense more opportunities. Mm -hmm. The fact that the defense got better as the season progressed, I think you have to point to the fact that they didn't have a spring camp to install a new defensive scheme and training camp was a little wonky. So you kind of had to learn on the fly in that sense. Shotgun, do you have your stat yeah. ready? But real quick, the Oregon game, I mean, how many short fields did the Ducks get? You know, so it's like it, yeah. that wasn't on the defense early on for sure. Yeah. I don't necessarily have a stat. <laughs> you know, my okay. first thought was yards per play, but USC was not very good this year. Uh, and last year compared to maybe four or five years ago was about the same. Turnovers? Um, it was like turnover margin. Turnover yeah. margin this year was much better. But, yeah. you know, as far as in the last three, and, you know, I, I was looking at offensive stats from the last two years of Graham Harrell. I think you're, you know, just total yards. You're putting up some good yardage. But you got to finish those drives off. So, you know, I think that's a positive that you're putting up good yardage. You know, can you then finish them off? That's a, that's probably you would look at that as a little bit of a negative. You know, your red zone efficiency uh, as far as it. But yeah, that's the first thing that came to mind. But yeah, turnover margin this year was terrific. Um, and you know, that's because Todd Orlando had a really good back end of the defense. The secondary was really good, so he could put them in one-on-one -on -one matchups 
with Chris Steele, with Elijah Griffin, with Isaiah Polamau over the top, and feel confident to be able to, you know, to bring blitzes from all over the place and cause confusion and cause havoc. And that's when you get guys, you know, throwing the ball straight to someone or throwing, you know, the, throwing it up in, into, you know, into no man's land and Talanoa Hufunga comes down with interceptions, those type of things. And when you have elite playmakers like Talanoa Hufunga making elite plays, that's going to happen too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think the point yeah. of the question was, Keely, this team isn't getting better. Can you give us a metric that it is? And I, I think, yeah, point taken. We get it. Sure. I just wanted to see if Shadi could come up with anything <laughs> yeah. in his bag of tricks. Uh, Romer on YouTube says, uh, why would any running back want to play for USC? I mean, there's all the Heisman trophies probably is a good reason. <laughs> I mean, it's USC still. Like, pe- like, and, and, and this, I'm cutting you off, Ron. Sorry. Sure, this no. is something that I asked Gerard on the Recruiting Blast podcast. Plug if you want to listen to that. Basically, I was asking him, you know, if Corey Foreman's coming to USC, if Sierra Wright's coming to USC, obviously recruits are seeing something different in this coaching staff than maybe the fans are seeing. What can you speak to as far as what, what recruits are seeing as far as the, the attractiveness of USC? Yeah, I, so there's fans that just, like our, our, our great caller from New York, they just hate Clay Elton. They don't care what's going on. They're like, because I hate him, everyone else must hate him. And, what, you know, it's still USC. There's a lot of, there's a lot of draw to coming to USC if you love your position coach or you wouldn't like your position coach that much. If you love the head coach or you don't like him that much or you're okay with him or whatever. It's, it's just one of those things where there's still good reasons to come to USC. We get that you think that no one should ever want to go to USC because you just hate Clay Helton that much, but that's not the way everyone thinks about it. You know, there's, you're, if you picked a school, if you're going to school for your degree, you know, you met some professors, you liked them, you didn't like them. You're like, well, I still want to get my degree from there. There's just, there's a lot of factors in between picking a school. So you have to put your own personal hatred for Clay Helton beside, you know, to the side and say, there's a lot of reasons to go to USC outside of who the head coach is. And sometimes the head coach is a reason some of these kids, like they like Clay Helton. He's good in their living rooms. He's a good closer. Um, so they don't look at it the same way as you do. They're not living and dying by every win as a lot of the fans are. Mm-hmm. Shadi, do you have anything uh, to add to that? I think the easiest answer is ego. You know, if you're an elite recruit and you're a four or five star guy, you think you're the difference maker. You will change things. And you say, those other guys, I'm better than them. So I'll come in and suddenly we'll be able to run the ball. I think that's a big part of, you know, any recruiting um, is saying, you're going to be the guy. You're going to be the guy. Just We just need you. We just need you yeah. and you'll be the difference maker. And, you know, a lot of kids will believe that. Sure. USC has a top 10 class, you know. Yes, 2020 was terrible. That was a bad class. It thinks it every, kind of everything class. went wrong. It was wrong. horrendous. It was horrendous. Uh, and then whatever we say, there's no changing. It was an awful class, the worst we've ever seen or will ever see, um, most likely. But this was a, a pretty good class. You're not going to, if you want to get the elite classes again that, that, you know, Pete Carroll would do in his sleep, it's got, you have to have a much better overall effort. But USC on its own, you know, you can still have the potential to have a top six, seven, eight class like they have right now. Uh, even if you have like a weird year and, and things aren't going well and the coaches on the hot seat and all that stuff, you can still get good classes and you, you saw it this year. Mm-hmm. Mark has a question on YouTube that I actually was thinking about earlier today. He says, as things stand right now, do you anticipate there being spring ball this year? It is very bad in LA County right now. It's like it's very bad. bad. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I mean, Lakers aren't having fans yet. Like it's it's one of those things where. 
Yeah, I'm not sure. I, mean, I know that there's there is uh, some hesitation on spring sports in general. There, it's it doesn't seem very positive on, on that outlook right now. And we've seen how strict LA County has been with things just because of where the county itself stands, and it is not good right now. So USA is loaded up on spring sports. Like twenty, was it twenty of the sports are playing in the the spring, right? Like all, like all except football are playing in the spring. Um, are they going to be able to? I mean, we've seen some stoppages for college basketball and all that kind of stuff or whatever teams pausing, switching games. Or... You've had teams that have stopped playing, like Duke's women ba- women's basketball team just say, hey, we're not playing the rest of the year. You're done, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I think the good thing about spring football is you can kind of delay it. Like you can say, well, we'll, we'll try it like late April or something or May. Maybe you do a really late spring football. I don't know. But I think you can kind of wait and see at this point. Um, I think the, the players are just happy to kind of be out of their little <laughs> yeah. bubbles and stuff. Um, they're not too worried about it, but I think you're going to have to, there's going to be a lot of data points between now and then. And then if you do have one, having it a little later, it seems that things, things got better, you know, in the summerish time, you know, when things got warmer, if there's more vaccine and stuff going on. So, you know, maybe it's better by then, but yeah, right now you can't have it. Mm-hmm. I, I was talking with a, a coach in Georgia on my way in and, uh, we were we were discussing spring ball and the difference in schedules, and we were talking about how you know Coastal Carolina was able to get all their practices in uh, that type. You know how you can move the schedule around, you can be flexible with it, and I think the NCA will allow schools. I think you know especially if if, if things are still bad as far as the the virus, it, that they will allow they'll open the window up for when you can practice a little bit more. Um, I, I think that they would have that flexibility. So you know maybe instead of everyone doing it. In February through April, maybe they open it up, and you know you go into May or even even June. Maybe you can you know have something where it's yeah. an early summer type thing. So that might make it more plausible for USC. They really need a spring ball, one because you need to get this new offensive line coach in, whoever it is, come in and be able to put you know put the pieces together. But also you have a lot of early enrollees, and this would be really beneficial for them. Uh, you know that's that's the benefit of having early enrollees. So now if you're going to have those guys, these guys that have given up their potential of a senior season, you know, if California even has high school football this spring, yeah. but they've given up that potential. So you want those guys to be able to not only work out, but also be able to get on the field and see what they can do. Mm-hmm. I'm going to jump into a caller that we have, and then I'm going to come back and do rapid fire because it's already eight o'clock. Let's go to Mitchell from Utah. Hello. What's your question for the team? Hey guys, how's it going? Hey, Mitchell. Uh, it's been a little bit, but wh- where's Taylor Mays been? He's like he's the guy. So, what what can we do to get him and Brian Cushing in charge of uh, strength and conditioning and break some tables and yell at some people? <laughs> Interesting. Uh, Taylor was not a big so. Thanks, Mitchell. Um, Keely, I don't, Taylor wasn't like the. I mean, he was a great athlete and stuff, but was he like a huge workout warrior? I don't know. Kind of. Sort of. He kind of was it like not yeah. like like Cushing was like I that mean, was his thing. Taylor looked like he was a worker warrior. <laughs> he, yeah, he was more of like a natural, just like when he came out the womb. <laughs> yeah, no, he was just like yeah, I just could run a four three when I was born. Yeah, I was like okay, that's cool. <laughs> Cushing is an interesting name just because he's on the Texans strength and conditioning staff. Yeah, so it wouldn't be like you're just going out and getting someone similar to Aaron Osmus who hadn't been a you know strength and conditioning coach recently. Um, now it's different NFL and college, and do you really want to try to break in someone the first college job? I don't think you necessarily want to do that. No. But it is an interesting name just because there's familiarity and everyone knows about his, his you know workout plans and stuff. Yeah, a couple of years ago, that's who they would get, but I don't think they will now. <laughs> that's what um, I was gonna say. Is it the 
the if fans had if Clay Heldon had thought on his own, hey, let's get someone from the past who has no experience, but his name is USC. Fans would hate it, but then fans would come up with this idea on their own. So it's like I, we we said no retreads, you know? Right. Well, I think they're just used to it. They're like, oh, those I are the kind it. of guys that they hire, and uh, I don't think this administration is going to no. maybe allow that. If you, is that <laughs> the right word? I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, I don't think that will happen. As far as Taylor Mays, I haven't talked to him for a while. Have you talked to him lately, Keely? It was cool when we would we would have him on, but you know. Last time I talked to him was like a month ago. He's okay. he's in and out of he goes he's a recluse. So he gets in and out of his cave. So we'll yeah. see. But we'll try to get him to come on sometime. You know, we didn't get his takes at all uh, you know, this past year. So that'd be it'd be interesting to to hear from him again. Mm-hmm. So Fairies on YouTube said, guys, you're doing a great job, but you're sounding delusional. Did you see what UT just did? They care about football. If USC cared about football, Clay would have been canned. What's the excuse next year? I mean, is it? Okay. Who's caring about football? Like, I think the fans care about football at Texas. I think they care about football at USC. I think football is a higher priority in the University of Texas than it is at the University of Southern California right now. And I mean, part of it is you have a, you know, presidents come in that's trying to fix a lot of problems across the university from, you know, medical school stuff to, you know, all whatever, all the scandals going on. And there were scandals in the athletic department that don't look good. And I don't feel like my personal opinion that Carol doesn't really, she would rather see things run smoothly in the athletic department and maybe win some games as opposed to like go all out and hire whoever you want and, and make any changes you want. And if you get a scandal, that's fine. As long as you're winning, I don't think that's coming from the office of the president right now. And I think it's just a higher priority uh, at Texas. I think the athletic department really wants to win, you know, and I feel like the athletic department at Texas really wants to win. But like Shotgun said, we said earlier, that's the highest grossing revenue. I mean, they make more money than any athletic program in the country, Uh, certainly a lot more than USC. So it was going to be, you know, it, what kind of look is it if you go through and, and spend over $20 million during a pandemic to replace your head coach? You did it at Texas. There's criticism about people doing that, yeah. but there's also a lot of support. I think there wouldn't be the same kind of support doing that at USC, and that's what you would you would have to do. And that's not even including going out and hiring someone. So if you're say, who cares more? I mean... There's people at, at USC that cares just as much as people as Texas, but not everybody. And there's certain people in power that that's not going to be their highest priority. And part of it's because of all the bad decisions that were made by the leadership from the last 10, 15 years. That's put USC in a really bad position right now. And it makes it less likely and less feasible that you could actually do something like what Texas did. Not saying what Texas did is right, but I mean, I think it's a big risk of what Texas did. So we'll see how that ends up working out. But I, I just don't think USC is in the position to take that kind of risk right now. Yeah. What do you make of I, – I, I kind of anticipated more criticism to come to make that type of move and then go to Sark as your guy. I feel like that's a risky move and you're you're complaining about prior to pandemic hardships and then you go out and do this big thing. I, I was surprised that the national media didn't – it kind of was just like, whoa, Texas. Okay. And then people moved on. I thought that was kind of weird. There's a lot of national media that were like critical of just even having a season, you know. But then – you know, the SEC came out, I think they played 69 of their 71 games and something like, so there was a lot of criticism, like, hey, you shouldn't be doing this during the pandemic. And, and the SEC was like, 
hold my beer, watch, we did it. And they actually did, you know? And you're like, okay, well, was it the, the right thing to do? Was it the smart thing to do? I don't know, but it ended up working. Um, and so I think it's the same sort of thing where you're like, you can be critical of like, why did you get rid of that guy? And then Sark comes in and win a championship. Then you're just like, okay. So I, I feel like there's definitely been some criticism, but there's been like months of criticism about you shouldn't be doing this during a pandemic. And I don't know, it just, it sort of fell on deaf ears. People wanted college football back. So it's a pandemic, sure, but this is what you do. The coaching carousel happens. Auburn fired their guy and paid $20 million, whatever. Texas fired their guy. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I think there has been criticism, Keeley, but it's sort of been, there's been so much criticism, you kind of get drowned out because there's just people that wanted college football and, you know, whatever the normal circumstance that goes around college football and coaching firing is one of them, they just want that too. Sorry. You know who's not paying that buyout? The general university. Yes. It's not, there's not like a university slush fund. Like, yeah, yeah, 20 million is not a big deal. No, that's the boosters. So it, it's not like it's on the schools and they're just like, oh, we're cutting back in different places, but uh, we're going to spend $20 million. No, they probably put up some of the money, but a lot of that's coming from boosters saying, yeah, I'll pitch in a million. I'll pitch in $2 million, which would be nice. I'd like to be able to pitch in a million dollars <laughs> at one point in my life. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. I promised rapid fire questions and then we didn't get into it. Uh, Jerry on YouTube says, uh, is Brandon Peely expected to come back? He should. I mean, he, he hasn't been able to show anything yet. He didn't have an opportunity this season. Um, he'll have an opportunity where he should be the leader going into spring um, at that spot on the defense just because he knows it. And Sopshire, you know, he was the number two guy behind Marlon. Sopshire's going to come in and should be able to compete with him. But he needs to he needs to show something on the field, and he wasn't able to do that this year because of injuries. Mm -hmm. uh, Jasper says, "Are there any legit left tackle prospects USC can land via the transfer portal?" The biggest one that I saw was a left tackle. Uh, I think it's Tristan Miller from uh, something Miller from North Carolina, but he just committed to someone. Now the the thing is that there's still guys entering the transfer portal. You just saw today and yesterday there were multiple players from Notre Dame, multiple players from o Oklahoma. You know their season ended. You know you've had. In the last couple of days, you've had, you know, 10, 15 schools that played bowl games. So, you know, those schools now, you're going to see some of those players start going in the transfer portal. So it's possible still someone comes loose. Um, but as of right now, not any really high end. There were about four or five that were all four stars initially. Um, and I think all those have made commitments since. Um, so we'll see who kind of shakes loose. There's still some, some quality players out there. And USC could even look at uh, lower classes at guys that go to a, a Holy Cross or a Wyoming or something, but dominate in those, and then you bring them up and you know see if they can can play, uh, you know, can move up the ranks, kind of like you see a lot of times in basketball and what USC basketball has done this year. Uh, Ryan on Periscope, real quick, he says, "Why can't boosters pay to fire Clay Helton?" Um, I mean, they could. Our sources were saying there wasn't like boosters were lining up, you know, backing up twenty million dollars to the school, like, "Hey, go go flush this down the toilet so we can go hire." A new coach but even if there was boosters lined up to do that the problem is it's the perception of you're going to fire a coach who went five and one won 83 percent of his games uh during a pandemic when you're you know your athletic department's like at a 60 million dollar shortfall or whatever it's not a great look even if they had the booster money but we were told there wasn't like a whole bunch of boosters were willing to step up and uh, and pay that buyout uh, Gary on Facebook says, can you separate jinx performance from drevnos why keep jinx uh if the running game is also bad I mean, technically, Drevno's title was run game coordinator, and this goes back to the title thing not really mattering that much. Um, but, you know, I think the, the fact that Jinx has a better grasp of the offense, you know, the air raid offense, he's spent several years in it, 
versus Drevno, this was going to be his second year in it. You know, so I think that's the biggest difference. Yeah, it's a fair point. And Jigs wasn't Harold's guy. It was Kingsbury's guy. So True. Yeah. Jeff says, any news on Tyler Vaughn's? We have not received any news. No. However, I do not expect him to be back. Just my personal opinion. Though. Yeah. If he does, setting all kinds of records. True. Very true. And we will welcome that because he's he's a fun guy to cover. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Hip Hop Lover John says, can any of you guys uh, give input on Dante Williams' recruiting tactics versus everybody else who's been on staff over the past couple of years? What makes him different? It all comes down to personality. The best recruiters is personality and I guess commitment to effort to recruiting. Yeah, effort. Effort's um, a big part. You know, the <laughs> fact that that you're willing to you know, I remember talking to Kenichi Udaisy about this and you know, him learning, you know, how to become a good recruiter. Uh, and it was, you know, being able to tell your wife or tell your kids, like, I've gotta go, I've gotta take this call right now. And that commitment, and that is it's that's something that's very stressful on college coaches in the in the long run, but being able to to always be available basically for players and be able to talk about stuff that's not football. It always comes – you hear this all the time. We're able to talk about so much more. We don't even really talk about football anymore because a lot of these kids get recruited for three or four years. So what do you talk about in four years? Are you still trying to break down like exactly what you're going to show what they what you want them to do in the defense? No, it's talking about you know being uh, relatable, and that's a guy that you want to you know. It's also being able to see their film from high school and say, hey, you should probably do this. You know, here's some tips type of thing. Uh, but it, it all comes down to personality and being relatable to the players. There's, I mean, there's so much into it. You know, there's great recruiters, Ed Orgeron. Um, I mean, I've told the story before. When he was fired, uh, you know, at Ole Miss, and he was at the senior—I think it was the Senior Bowl—in uh, Mobile, and I'd run into him, and I hadn't seen him for years, and I went to introduce myself, and he's like, "I remember you, Ryan." Blah 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 blah. Uh, Deshaun Jackson's family walked by. Now he went to Cal. Like the family walked by, and basically were like gushing over, "Oh my God, Ed Orger!" And they loved him, you know. And he just was able to connect, and it's sort of like being a politician. Do you remember people's names? Do you remember what they're talking, you know, what is their, the, the name of their cat? Do they have some illness in the family? Like you remember all that stuff. It makes you feel good when people are talking to you, but it, it, the personality is a big part of it. And you, you know, you can have that friend that everybody likes and there's some one person that doesn't like him. That, that happens too. But Dante Williams has this personality where he's going to relate to most of the people he's going to be interacting with out there. And he puts in the work, and there's a lot of effort. We've seen some coaches around USC staff that weren't doing that. You can't schedule on your calendar, like, I'm going to recruit on Thursday from 3 to 5. Like, no, it's like all the time you got to be on. If the guy texts you or sends you a DM or whatever it is, you got to be on top of it. So it, a lot of it's effort. A lot of it's your personality. Um, you have to be part politician. So there, there's a lot that goes into being a great recruiter. And all of them, you know, little nuances for every one of them. You know, Dante Williams is one of those great ones. T. Martin was like that. So there's a lot of guys that just, they just get it. And they're able to relate to a lot, to as many people as possible, make them feel good about what they're saying and make them feel good about the university that they're representing. And another thing that really helps is if the players that you have under you go to the NFL and they progress and get better. So that really helps if you actually yeah. coach them up. Yeah. Uh, rapid fire, gentlemen. Sorry, but that was, I mean, that's a, that's a tough one. Yes, I agree. Jasper Smith says, looking forward to next season, will Kyle Ford be ready from his injury? I think so. Yeah. Um, you know, looking at his training videos and stuff, you know, he, he's putting in the work for sure. Um, and the fact that he's running full speed right now, 
on treadmills and whatnot, I, I think is a positive sign that he'll be ready. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jordan on YouTube says, is the promotion of Dante Williams to associate head coach a hint that Helton is finally on thin ice with Bone? No. Again, no. this goes no. back to titles. The title doesn't matter. <laughs> It, it's more it. of a, hey, we saw you were going, doing a good job. Here's a promotion. And Dante being like, I am invested in this program. Yeah. That's yeah. what that was. Uh, David says, um, how will Dante's promotion affect other coaches? He was at Oregon a year ago, one year in, and now he's that valuable? Question mark. He is that valuable because he's, what, he's brought on the recruiting and helping USC turn the tide after last year. Uh, but other coaches understand. It's just a part of the game. They understand that. You know, the title that comes with it, you know, it's usually a pay raise comes with it and why he's getting that because of how USC is recruited. Also, if Dante can help bring in a guy like Corey Foreman, I think Todd Orlando's okay. <laughs> I think he's he's doing fine. Uh, Abrima on YouTube said, if JT Tui Malau commits to USC and joins Corey Foreman, what more would they need to compete for the playoffs? Offensive line. I mean, it's the big the big question mark right now. Being consistently able to put, push people around and they haven't done that in the recent years. Yeah, the offense has got to be, it unfortunately went on a downward trajectory this year. It's got to get back to where you think that potential can be. I think the defense has improved. I think the special teams have improved. You need the offensive line and you need to be able to run the football a little bit more. But this, there's a lot of potential there for this USC team, though I don't feel it will be as talented in 2021 as it was in 2020. Uh, in that sense, Oscar on YouTube said, once SC starts getting back to five and four-star offensive linemen, then at that point, SC will be back in the national championship status. What do you guys say? No, you have to also coach them up. Yeah. You know, they were they were getting five and four-star guys and Zach Banner and those guys, but they weren't in the national championship pitcher then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And for, coach and, them up as well. Yeah, now you're not getting those guys, so it's, you got to coach them up even more. <laughs> Beck says, is JT Daniels' success at Georgia indicative of poor coaching? Beck loves to bring this up. He loves to talk about, well, if JT Daniels is doing well, then that shows how bad the USC coaches are. No, it doesn't. JT Daniels is really good. We tried to tell people that. We told you guys. <laughs> Y'all didn't uh, believe us. <laughs> and he, it wasn't, you know, it just wasn't a good, I mean, a, a good situation for him. It was ideal for him to go somewhere else. And congratulations to him for leading his team back and, and winning the Peach Bowl, I think, they were in, uh, you know, and, and winning that game against Cincinnati. I mean, it, it's great to see him doing well there, but it's not indicative of the coaches. It's not like the coaches pushed him out. It's not like the coaches said, hey, JT, we're benching you. No, JT got hurt and another guy stepped in and he was really, really good. It's indicative of the terrible offensive scheme USC ran in 2018 when JT Daniels was there yes. as a true freshman. Yes. If he played in 2019 when Slovis did, he would have been good throughout the year too. So, I, yeah. And they, it's not like they ever had a competition. It's not like Keaton beat him out. Yep. No. Uh, Santiago says, where do you see the Pac-12 in five years? <laughs> that's, that's not rapid fire. Yeah, that's not a rapid fire question. <laughs> that was one we had to get to earlier in the show for that. I need to save that for a Ryan it's, rant on a podcast. Just, I mean, okay. the way it's going now, can't, you know, it's not going to be positive. Like, Keely's trying to wave. No, <laughs> yeah, stop. We're going to see like blowing this up. Like maybe it's like, do you have to make a prediction? Is the Pac-12 the same in five years? I'm going to say no. What do you mean by the same? That could mean like, anything. Is it 12, the same 12 teams? Hmm. Or does it exist in the same manner? I'm going to say no. I think there's going to be some changes. Hmm. We'll see. There was another question later that was, um, uh, Coley asked the, the Pac-12 and the Big Ten took some PR hits in 2020. What in 2021 is the single most important thing the Pac-12 can do to help the conference? And you guys know my answer. Make the playoff. Win, baby, win. No. <laughs> the commissioner. Larry Scott, yeah. That's oh, yeah, yeah. That's gonna, that has to happen. It but. starts with that. That was like so obvious it was a shotgun. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, John says, any update on Keaton's shoulder injury? No, we have not heard anything. No, um, no. And that's the thing. When you get in, players get injured at the end, um, unless you know a source comes to us, we're not going to get any updates from Clay Helton or anything necessarily. Yeah, we didn't even know about the holiday bowl injury until spring when yeah. we returned for that. So that was uh, that's just kind of how it goes sometimes. Um, I'm actually going to jump into callers. We have more callers. In more the callers? Oh, I know. Man. I'm sorry. Uh, Dave is back. And he has a question about recruiting. Hello, you're live. Hey, guys. Thanks for taking my call once again. Uh, so, would you think it's fair to say that... He dropped out. Sorry about that. Okay, so We're going to limit one caller per show. I, okay, that's what I said within people. Okay, mm -hmm. I know. Uh, we have a caller, Chris, my foot down. from Delaware. Hello, you are live on Tunnel Vision. What's your question for the team? Hey, Ryan, Chris from Delaware, your absolute biggest fan. How are you, buddy? What's up, Chris? Good. Good to see everybody. Keely, I hope uh, Christmas was good with you and uh, little Caitlin. <laughs> and Shotgun, you're making so so much sense tonight, I don't even know. But guys, I wish it were a social call. It's not a social call. I'd like to talk about Sarkeesian. Oh. Now, we know that he was fired for the pep rally stuff, and we know that he was fired for the practices. But what never hit the national media is that he was drunk at the second half of the Arizona State game, allegedly. I'm saying it, but it's allegedly. But he was drunk during the Arizona State game. Texas, I hope you know that you have mortgaged your future and that all the Earl Campbells and the Vince Youngs and the, you know, whoever, Ricky Williams of the world, are now have all vanished because all you care about is money and wins. Because nobody would ever let this guy lead 19, 20, and 21-year-olds. I know I'm normally funnier, but I'm just there's something that rubs me the wrong way about this guy. All right, I love you all, and I hope you guys have a great night. Bye. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, he's we got the serious tone from uh -huh. uh, Chris. I mean, never want to joke about. I mean, obviously, people's sobriety. There's major issues. I mean, we had heard so many stories about Sark uh, here at USC. We heard a lot of them came out about what was going on up at, at Washington beforehand. And that put even more criticism towards Pat Hayden. Like there was, you know, this was not a, uh, a one-off thing. And Nick Saban has done a lot of great things in college football. I mean, won crap loads of games, championships, might win another one here in a week or so. Uh, he's rehabilitated, rehabilitated a, punt, a ton of coaches. And giving uh, Steve Sarkeesian that opportunity after the NFL won. Um, and, you know, he won the Broyles Award. You know, he's, you're talking about the top assistant coach in the country. Steve Sarkeesian won it this year. So you hope that he's going to be able to lead uh, these young men. But you're right. It's different than if you're, like, becoming an NFL head coach. These are, you know, 18 to 22-year-olds. So you hope Texas did their due diligence and, and found out exactly what they needed to find out. Uh, because you are putting, you know, you're putting him in charge of all these parents of their kids. You know, he's like the, the second father for a lot of these guys. So, yeah, I, I do think it's a risk anyway. Um, but, you know, hopefully, you know, the, any of those demons are, are pushed aside and he's able to kind of go forward and, uh, and you know, lead those young men. Mm -hmm. I'm going to jump back into questions and then we'll wrap this thing up. D. Diego on YouTube says, uh, would USC have fared better than Colorado against Texas? I think so. Probably, yeah. I don't know if they won, but they, I don't think they, I don't think USC would have won. But. It, it also would have depended on who was playing. I mean, if you yeah. don't have Keaton Slovis, you don't have Amon Ross St. Brown, you don't ABT. have Elijah Vera Tucker, 
It's a much different team. We get this question a lot, but uh, Imar, I believe I said it right, on YouTube says, uh, will USC ever rec recruit large five-star offensive line players? If you see five, five top five teams, O-line has been the difference maker. I mean, Austin Jackson was a five-star. I mean, they Chuma Dogo was a five-star. They, they've done it, but it's been a while. Yeah, mm -hmm. and some of the guys that are really highly talented haven't worked out as well, like E.J. Price from Georgia. Um, you know, they've tried to get guys like Pinay Sewell. They've tried to get guys like Jackson Carmen. They tried to get guys like Sean Ryan, all guys that are, you know, very talented left tackles. So, you know, they've just got to close on, on some of these in, in recent years. So, yeah, it comes back to getting getting those guys. But also, again, like we said, they're they're rare on the West Coast compared to you know in the South as far as the five star offensive linemen. So it, it makes it that much more difficult when you aren't when the rest of the program is not you know succeeding and running on all cylinders like it hasn't been the last couple of years. Uh, we had a question from BCP who says, uh, "Does anyone know the status of Avai Malpera or Stephen Carr? Are they coming back?" You should check the war room. Yeah. For information on that. Yep. There you go. <laughs> uh, we had a question from Coley. Who do you like better, Alabama or Ohio State? It's hard to bet against Alabama. Yeah, they're just yeah. too freaking good. But Ohio State showed a lot of positive things. The biggest thing in this game for me is can Ohio State pressure Mac Jones consistently like they were able to do to Trevor Lawrence? I tweeted it in, in the thing, and this was kind of a hint at Keaton Slovis a little bit, but even elite quarterbacks look pedestrian when they're constantly under pressure. Yeah. So Trevor Lawrence, did he look like the number one pick on, on what was it, Saturday or whatever day it was? No, he did not. No, he did Why? not. Why? Because he was constantly under a barrage. There was constantly an Ohio State player in the backfield for him, and that's against a really good offense line. So, you know, it, you know if, if teams can get to the quarterback and do that, and that's why I say Corey Foreman, Drake Jackson, and maybe JT Tuomaloa, you know, that can, can be a, a, just a, a difference maker, complete game wrecker. Ohio State's defensive line – is legit, even though it's pretty much rebuilt, right? But the thing with Mac Jones is, like, he's throwing the better dudes. <laughs> we'll see. So there's no Dante Smith for Clemson right now. So uh, Yeah, Clemson he, had their top three receivers out this season, so. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, we had a question uh, from also Coley, who said, what should be USC's New Year's resolution? <laughs> Which is a very interesting one. Mm -hmm. uh, I think you got to commit to running the football and be good at that. Like, say rate it's fine. You're going to throw the football, but be physical and practice, run the football, and show that you can do that every week. Um, that, you know, it's not just about throwing the football. Be physical. That's what your resolution should be. Yeah, I think Ryan hit on it. It's, it's physicality. You know, physicality up front. You've shown it some on the defensive side. Can it become a culture? Not can it become a, hey, you did good in this game with your physicality, but can it become a constant? Similar to that, playing to your potential. We see flashes, but can we? Can USC do that? Uh, can we see that consistently? I don't think we have so far. And they'll need to do that this year because their potential is not going to be as high as it was this season. You lose a lot of talent, especially on the yeah. defensive side of the ball. Mm -hmm. Alexis says, is Alman Ross Brown the best USC receiver since Robert Woods? I'm going to go with Marquise Lee just because he yeah. won the Belitnikoff. Yeah, Lee was better, I think. At least as a, as a college receiver. I mean, he might be the best one we've seen, right? Like, And if he hasn't been injured the entire time in his NFL career, maybe he's putting up bigger num much bigger numbers as well. Yeah. All righty. Uh, Shotgun, is there any pressing question you want to ask? Otherwise, I'm going to wrap this thing up. Ryan, for you, I'm while Shotgun is okay, looking ahead. for that, sure. what are you expecting next for USC going forward? I know there's signing day in a month. Uh, but other than that, what are you expecting? 
So I think it's really going to be more about personnel. I'm not expecting a hire to come from either strength and conditioning or the offensive line before signing day. Maybe they do. Maybe they're able to pull something off. Um, but I feel like they're going to be looking and I feel like they're going to try to get somebody from the outside that's good. Timing-wise, though, it might not happen in the, the next month or so. Um, I feel like it's going to be more about the personnel. Like, or is anyone else going to opt out? like a Tyler Vaughn's or wherever. Uh, is there going to be other guys entering uh, the transfer portal? Um, if you see like another running back go to the transfer portal, what is Clay Helton and the coach going to do to try to recruit them to come back? Or do they go certainly go out and try to get a, a running back from the transfer portal? So I think you're going to see some additions and subtractions probably in the next three, four weeks leading up until signing day. And then Sort of after that, we'll, I, my guess is that's when you're kind of st see the coaching staff start to uh, fill out a little bit. Shadi? What was the question? <laughs> <laughs> what do you expect from USC going forward? Oh, uh, the, the biggest question for me going forward is, like Ryan talked about with the opt-outs, is a guy like I Isaiah Palmau. Um, because you're losing Talano Hufunga, you've lost some linebackers in front of him, and kind of the health of those linebackers that are supposed to be coming back. Those are the things to, to kind of keep an eye on on as USC goes forward, you know, are they going to get guys back there or are you going to have to replace the entire kind of middle of the field for you with Tui Pelotu, EA being gone, you know, and Talanoa and Isaiah Palomao. If you do that, it's it's kind of like in baseball where if you're strong up the middle, you can be really good. Uh, you need to be strong at the middle. And USC has done well to replace Marlon with, with bringing in Sopcher, uh, but they've done well with bringing in some young safeties. But having Isaiah pull him out there and being a veteran guy would be really big for them, I think. Yep. And any questions that you were able to find, Shadi? Uh, one, Oscar asked earlier in the show, can, can you guys see Dante Williams being the SC head coach after we fire Helton? I think Dante is a superstar in the making. And I think Dante is a great coach and potentially a superstar in the making, just like you said. However, that should not be your desire. You, you shouldn't be learning on the job at USC. That's the whole thing we said from the very beginning when Helton was hired, that, you know, you need someone who has experience this day before. And, you know, Dante Williams, while he may be a superstar in the making, doesn't he hasn't even been a DC yet. So, you know, you would like to see him get that. Now, if he works his way up and eventually takes over, that sure. But, uh, you know, not the next guy at USC, no. Is that like a Stockholm Syndrome thing where just like the, the mistakes from the, like, I don't know, just the USC fans are like, why you keep hiring these inexperienced coaches? And then th those are the suggestions they make. <laughs> They're you know, clicking like, on to whatever like tightrope like, they I don't see. Get, I don't... It's not completely that because there's always the Urban Meyer talk too. So they're asking for the home run hire too, but they're also maybe they're just being realistic about what USC has done. There's a lot of times where like whenever these coaching searches are come up or the fake ones or whatever, like when Clay Helton wasn't fired. Um, yeah, they're like, I, you feel like they're coming up with these things. Like you need an out of the box hire. Like, that's all USC has done is gone out of the box. Get an in-the-box hire. Get someone that's actually good at their job. So when there's an opening. Yes. There you go. A little mini Ryan rant yeah. to conclude the show. Alrighty, We are on a weekly schedule now. I believe we're going to be here every Sunday. Is that correct, boss man? Sounds good. Alrighty, Every Sunday. So we'll be back next week. That's Ryan. That's Shotgun. I'm Keely. We'll see you all next time.
When you have sports mixed with your pop culture, along with humor and celebrity interviews, your earbuds are enjoying the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Orlovsky, are you still a Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy? I think the three things that make it stand out for me are number one, I think his ball placement versus man coverage is the best in the draft. Every quarterback in the NFL is accurate. He's got the best on tape. Number two, most transferable stuff to the NFL. And then I think the third thing is pocket peace. Search for the Rich Eisen Show on YouTube or wherever you listen.